This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Sky Blues Extra. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast with me, David Moore, and I'm joined this evening by Tom Ward and a very special guest, Kieran Maguire. Kieran is a lecturer of football finance at Liverpool University as part of the Football Industries MBA. Some of our listeners may know Kieran for his Price of Football podcast, which has proved really extremely insightful and interesting as the sort of football season has gone on, especially with what's happened in recent months. He talks about the money behind the beautiful game and will sort of clear up some of the things that have happened with Coventry over the years. Evening, Kieran. Thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks for the invite, guys. Looking forward to this. Should be fun. Great. And I sort of want to kick off things, Kieran. I know you're you're probably asked this hundreds of times, but how did you become the sort of UK's go-to guy for, for football finance? Well, it, it's one of those sliding doors moments. I, I was actually teaching for an investment bank, sort of uh, on loan from the university down in down in, in the Canary Wharf, and they were advising the Glazers on the United deal. Um, and the day it went through, I happened to be there. Uh, and when it when it happened, the all, all the windows were shuttered, and, and four huge doormen appeared because they were they were absolutely petrified that a bunch of Cockney Reds were going to go and put the windows out and cause a bit of <laughs> havoc. Um, so I, I, I sort of asked you know, what 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 on earth was going on, and they explained the nature of the deal and so on. And um, the, the the media are always keen to talk to, to people from university because they think we know a lot more than we do. So that so the BBC phoned up uh, the uni and said, can anybody explain there? And the university press office just said, well, all, all he talks about is football and he's one of our finance guys. So that's how it started. And then I was also finding that whenever I teach, if, if I'm if I'm trying to 
explain to students who, let's face it, especially for a nine o'clock, they're hungover, they don't want to be there. If I'm trying to explain some sort of standard accounting or financial blurb, um, nobody's particularly interested. But you put that in the context of a football club. Uh, if, if you say, for example, um, does anybody know why why Manchester United uh, have gone from owing £13 million to £258 million in six years since Sir Alex died on, on transfer instalments? All of a sudden, all the ears prick up. Yeah. Everybody has an opinion on the matter. So I, I always found that football was this this universal sort of Trojan horse into... I, I just teach standard right. finance and disguise it by talking about football around it. Sure. And um, just to give you, our listeners a bit more insight, you're, you're obviously a big Brighton fan um, and the club's obviously had some of its troubles, a bit like the Sky Blues, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been watching them since... 73 um so you know all four divisions uh and you know I've, I've got huge sympathies with what you're going through we ended up playing two years at gillingham so similar to what you've been through uh in terms of of playing at birmingham and, and it's it's that horrible uh experience um that it doesn't feel right um you're, you spend most of your time trying to learn about legal and financial issues when I mean, all you want to be doing is, is going down the pub, sharing a few beers with your mates, having a, having a moan at the, the new um, centre-half or you know, how useless yeah. the, the, the transfer policy is. And it all gets hijacked by, by, by the non-football stuff. Um, so I, I can, all I can say, is, as I know what you have been through, um, keep the faith uh you know there's always there there is there is light at the end of the tunnel uh you know i i can remember going to you know to darlington and doncaster and losing horrendous matches in front of 1500 pounds 1500 fans at gillingham um thinking why on earth am i doing this and, and then you know 48 hours ago we beat arsenal in the premier league with a last minute winner so you know, d- don't give up and and what you've achieved to date is absolutely sensational in getting through to the championship and and now you're you're one step away from the premier league mm, absolutely and just on the on the championship i think you know the first topic we want to discuss is is one that's quite high on the agenda for a lot of country fans and and that is the small matter of championship wages um, could you give us some insight, Kieran, on kind of what we're what we're competing with next season in that respect? Well, it, it's 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 going to be tough. I mean, Cov's last wages um, were just over five million pounds. The average in the Championship um, is is considerably higher. It's it's over twenty million. So you've you've got a huge mm. um, it, there's a huge gap there. Um, but other clubs have shown that you you can get up. Uh, to to the the Premier League on a relatively low wage bill. I mean, if if you take a look at, uh, I mean, the the average. I'm just looking at my figures here. The average is 34. So you're you're playing you know, you know, a, a fifth of of the average level of wages. Um, we're not we're not quite sure where you will be playing or whether you'll be playing in front of uh, a paying audience next season. Um, so it, it is it is a, it is tough. The the average wages in that division, you know, fifteen sixteen grand a week, um, which is considerably more than than you've been paying. Mm. Um, the the lowest wages in the championship last season were Rotherham at at seven point eight million compared to Coventry's six point three. So 
you, you can see that, you know, sorry, Coventry is 5.3. So you are going to have to pay new, pay higher wages to be realistic. You will get extra money from the TV companies. Um, it goes from about one and a half to seven million pounds. So there is extra money coming in, which will allow the manager to recruit, um, will allow those players that have, have deserved new contracts and step ups to get those um, without without breaking the bank. But it, it's going to be tough. Um, yes. because it's it's such a crazy division in that you're competing against clubs who who 12 months ago were hosting Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea and City and so on mm. um, and, and paying crazy, crazy wages and, and paying out huge sums in transfer fees as well. Um, but Sheffield United have shown that you can go from uh, League One into the Premier League. Um, other clubs have shown that they can survive and I think that really ought to be your first aim. Uh, you know, a nil-nil away to Bristol City is actually a really good result, even though it might be a crap game. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I've uh, I've collected a few kind of listener questions um, for you. The first one is from Ian Davidson. He's from the Coventry City London Supporters Club, and he asks: uh, the Championship is probably the most unfair league in the world. How do sides coming up from League One compete with ex-Premier League teams receiving parachute payments of approximately ninety million over three years? Um, it, it it is a challenge. I mean, p- part of the reason why they've got parachute payments is that the players they they've got in their squad are not as good as people thought they were. So mm. that's that's the first thing to establish. Although it might seem very scary. Um, to be coming up against clubs who do have it, it, it certainly is a financial advantage. Um, what what you can find is that um, you, you end up playing against the likes of Nicola Zigic and Jamie O'Hara, who uh, their respective clubs, which were were Birmingham and and Wolves, um, they couldn't get rid of these players mm, because yeah. they were on high. So you've got players who aren't happy at being at their host clubs, but they're staying on it because I think Zigic was on 50 grand a week and God God bless the lad. He was six foot seven. And, uh, but, but, but without the subtlety of uh, Peter Crouch. So he, he was, he was just a drain on cash. Um, So it, it, it will be a challenge, but, but look at, you know, Sunderland, Stoke, Hull, Wigan. Look at all these clubs which have come down in, mm. in recent le- years who haven't set the championship alight despite having um, a financial advantage. If, if, you, if you talk to um, people in the game, they will actually tell you that a club coming up from League One, which has got a really tight dressing room and has got you know has got that them us against them mentality, can actually do really well and can you know not only survive but also thrive in in mm. the championship. What you need a couple of decent loan signings. You think about Huddersfield a few years ago; they'd recently just been promoted from League One. They signed, who was it, Izzy Brown, Casey Palmer, Aaron yeah. Moy. I think all of those three lads were on loan, and that just made the difference, and, and they went up to the Premier League. So it's it's utilising the, the loan market. Um, what you will find this summer is that you will be able to recruit players on substantially lower wages than they'd have been asking for 12 months ago because there's 1,400 players being um, laid off or you know, released from contracts next next week um and most of them haven't got clubs to play for um and and they and I, i've been talking to some agents um and and the constant thing that they say is 
we are dropping wage demands. My mm. client wants somewhere to play rather than being on Zoom playing FIFA for the next 12 yeah. months looking for a club. Exactly. So it could all be a blessing in disguise in terms of us going up now. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is actually possibly the best time to be promoted from League One because you've got all of those existing um, clubs in the championship and, and the average losses in the championship are 20 million pounds a year in a pre-COVID world. So you mm. throw COVID on top of that uh, and they've got rich owners, but even so, you know, the rich owners, their, their private businesses are suffering. Um, I, I think it's possibly, you know, it, it is a blessing in disguise. Um, and, and, you know, clearly you know, it, football pales into insignificance compared to the health issues and the risks that the frontline staff are taking on our behalf. But um, it, it could be worse from, yeah. from a football point of view. Sure. I've got another another listener question here. This is time from Corey Matthews on Twitter. Um, he asked, what players should CCFC be targeting? And I think this is an interesting question. You know, do you... Do you kind of go for those big marquee signings or should we continue to build sustainably in the championship? Um, I, I, I would certainly go for the sustainable perspective because um, the, the marquee signings, um, e- even though you can get them a lot cheaper than in previous years, uh, it, it would still mean going into debt, in- increasing the debt. Now, I don't know, uh, you know the, the relationship between the club and CISU is, is something which clearly you're far more familiar with than I am, but I, I can't see them getting the checkbook out. Um, there are a lot of young and hungry players out there who um, you, you are far better off trying to to get hold of if you take a look at the brentford model which is is to find players on the cheap who are have either been discarded by other clubs or mm. who are from the continent um and looking to move on and the championship is seen all across Europe as as a, as a place to put yourself into the marketplace. You look at the likes of Neil Mopé, who, who came from France to Brentford, stayed not very long, and now he's in the Premier League. Um, it is seen as a stepping stone. So my advice, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I can't talk about football. I'm a, I'm a numbers guy at the end of the day. Um, mm. my, my advice would be don't, don't go for a big signing to impress the fans. Yeah, um, build, build, build up the strength of the squad, um, and I think you'll be better off with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sort of Brentford model you talk about, I think that's you know that is what we're we're trying to trying to do. You know, we've even in sort of League Two and League One, we you know we've been signing players like you say on the continent, or there's you know young players who've perhaps been at Chelsea and have sort of fallen out of favour and, and ended up somewhere, and we're picking them up you know for free. Our, our best player this season. Um, Fankati Dabo, you know, we got him for free and he's probably one of the best players we've had, um, you know, as a right wing back. So I think we are trying to t- trying to install that model. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, you're definitely right. And uh, that that's that's the way forward. A, a far more clubs will try to adopt that because they've been hit so badly by, first of all, the the, the 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 championship is a clown car of a division, you know, mm. over six hundred million pounds in in uh, operating losses um, last season is is no way to run a, a business which yeah. has been going on for years. Um, you throw COVID into the mix and it's 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 going to be putting a huge strain on on clubs. So so just 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 be nimble and and I think yeah. you've got the advantage that you've not got the legacy problems of having players on you know 15 20 30 grand a week in that division who have got one year left on a contract and who will just sit it out and you can't blame them can't blame the players um I, I 
you're actually in a, in a quite strong position where you can you can go into the market uh, and you will have a budget which will be which will will allow Coventry to recruit. And you sort of touched upon some of the teams that have come down from the Premier League and obviously get their parachute payments. And there's a question here from Spud on Twitter. He asks, is the money you spend on transfers and wages reflective on your final league position? And how often do you see abnormalities in this? Um, In the Premier League, that is the case. Um, But in the Championship, it's not. Because you've got these, um, how can I put it, slightly crapper players than they than you thought when you signed them <laughs> coming down from the Premier League for sides that are being relegated but they're still on big contracts and because the the championship is one of those divisions where Premier League clubs are are willing to um, give their players the opportunity to, to prove themselves at a slightly higher level so pr- possibly the, the best player in the in the championship this season is Ben White at Leeds yeah. well he's yeah. a lone player yeah um so you know you will often find that because you're you're paying a loan fee and it's going to be far lower than a transfer fee and also the the club which is is loaning which which is receiving the player might not even be paying 100% of his wages so you know it, it, the 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 host club simply wants that player to get experience so that there is a very close correlation in in the premier league um a, a between transfer fees, wages, and and finals league position. It's not quite the same in uh, in, in the championship, although um, you know, Rotherham had the lowest wage bill in 2019, and of course they got relegated. Um, and, and of course, you've, you've also probably looking at the, the championship table now, and you're thinking, well, looking at the bottom three, we pl- we were playing that. Well, we, you know, they were in the champion. They were in League One mm. a season ago. So the bottom six clubs, in terms of a budget, do tend to be uh, bottom six in wages as well. And it was no surprise to me that Ipswich were relegated because th- they'd had a bottom six wage bill for about six or seven seasons. And eventually, um, you know, gravity will catch up with you. Yeah, sure. And Kieran, it wouldn't be a Coventry City football finance podcast without us discussing the troubles the club have had with their stadium. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and how damaging is it when a club leaves their city um, in our, you know, in our circumstances twice? The only caveat I wanted to kind of add to that is with the COVID new world, um, possibly rent. Um, I'm not sure how that would have been payable, and if we perhaps saved on games that were then not taking part but yeah there's a couple of different things there for you but i thought i'd add them all in sort of one go right uh, i mean as far as the the stadium is concerned the stadiums is, is both a blessing and a curse to a football club depending on whether you own or rent it because it's only really generating money for you 25 to 30 days a year um now uh, you know, looking at what, what, what? You have to excuse me. Do you still refer to it as the Rico? Yes. Uh, yeah. As as an as as an away fan, yeah, it would always be the Rico to me. Yeah. You know, uh, God knows what it, what it is being referred to by by whoever owns it. You know, the, the, <laughs> the rugby club. Um, it, it was being used for concerts and things of like that, but it wasn't not that often. Um, yeah. and, and of course, you've got you have to pay the rates on it. You you've got your running costs and so on. Um. But the benefits are is that you deck it out in in your in your colours. It gives the fans a sense of identity. So you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember going to Highfield Road as an away fan, 
um you know and it was it was sky blue it was it was you know pretty central um and it was very evident that it was a part of the the culture of of the city at the time um and, and similarly with with the new stadium so um owning it allows you to do what the hell you want to do with it if you look at um if you look at the london stadium and west ham um they spend half of their time arguing with the landlords about you know, silly little things about you know it can where change you can put, yeah, yeah where you can put claret and blue where you can do this that and the other if there's an athletics meeting in the in the summer that means that for the first three or four matches they've not got enough seats uh, you know there's all there's all types of nonsense so if it's your stadium and you own it you don't have that problem you're not beholden to the uh, to the landlord um and, and so therefore it's it, it, it for Ideally, that's something which you need to have as, as a key objective. Um, the the spat between Sisu and the council and, and wasps and go on and so on, it, it, do, it doesn't reflect particularly well on the owners. It's nothing to do with the fans. You know, and I, I think sometimes fans feel that they have to defend owners. I, I would say keep away from it. it, it nobody knows the, the intricate details of these things um and you know sisu's objectives in in buying the 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 club in the first place of something which I'd, I'd imagine you will have spent hundreds of hours discussing on this particular podcast and so on um, wouldn't always align to football <laughs> no <laughs> 11 men versus 11 men exactly um how damaging is it i i, I think the higher up the divisions you go the more damaging it becomes because um, you will have camera crews coming to Coventry when you've got a home game normally in the championship. And if you've got into the Premier League, what you will find is that instead of you know, just having the camera crews coming from Sky, um, you know, what, what we've seen in, here in Brighton is that you get a dozen of them coming from all over the world in, in a non-COVID uh, economy because... If we're playing Spurs, there'll be a Korean camera crew there because Son might be playing. Um, and so it, it it does act in the Premier League, especially sort of in, in the modern world where um, you know, we are all linked via social media and so on. Um, it, it does act very much as a, as a form of marketing, not only for the club, but for the city as a whole. So moving away has not helped it makes things tougher again i can only speak from the similar experience when we had to go to gillingham it was a, it was a tuesday night game and it's a 140 mile round trip you'd think yeah, can i really be bothered so it will affect attendances it it, it makes you question your sanity um tra- appreciate coventry to birmingham is is a slightly shorter journey coventry to northampton was was no fun whatsoever i would imagine um so it, it, it's not good for the club's revenues you've got to pay rent to a third party it, it it's home but it's not it's it's a house rather than a home if, if that's the best way of describing it. it's not yours yeah no, of and course. it's it's sitting in those seats that you've been in you know, when you first started going with that same group of mates that's the things which you you lose most of all by by going to a a, a host club I suppose, yeah, they're the things that keep people coming back, aren't they? And then when they don't have that as much, they, they start to, like you say, waver on a Tuesday night or because, of, of course, we, we all understand. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's part of you. And I, I know people that don't get football don't understand it. But I, I always say to, to anybody who's a football fan, list the top 10 moments of your life. And probably at least half of them will involve your football club. And, and you know, and, and that football club, the stadium of the football club is, is so ingrained into you that to have it taken away is is heartbreaking it, it is genuine you know it's not not being over dramatic here it's genuinely like having a bereavement no of course and my list would probably be a little bit different if my partner was listening if she's if she's listening <laughs> but um i think you're absolutely spot on there and just about the sort of possible cost savings that by renting a ground and the current situation i know that's not um a silver lining of anything but i just thought we'd clear it up for our sort of supporters well, uh, you, you've not got the maintenance costs. You're not paying the direct rates uh, to the same extent um, uh, without knowing the intricate details of exactly, the yeah. between Coventry and Birmingham. Are you paying extra for floodlights? Are you paying extra for, sh- for having the shower switched on? Is it just a straight rent of the pitch? Um, but the the costs are probably no more than they would be if you owned the ground. I think the, the, the downside is the lack of revenues. You've got fewer match day uh, people, you've got, few, you've got lower attendances, so therefore there's lower match day income. Um, in terms of your commercial arrangements, it's more difficult to, to, to sign up because local companies want to have their, uh, their, their, their stuff being displayed at the RICO or you know, at your home ground rather than 30 miles away because it's not going to have such an impact. So impact upon costs, relatively neutral. Income upon Im- impact upon revenue is, is certainly negative. And time for just another question from Twitter. We've got Joey C, who he basically asks, how important is it for Coventry to own their own stadium? And will they ever be able to firstly reach the top flight and then survive once they're without owning the stadium? We've pretty much kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, but you mentioned about that top flight and, and what is so important with you know that that hub for, for Premier League to, to you know cameramen and, and whatnot coming round. But yeah, if, if is that something that you could just touch on? Yeah, it, it is feasible. But Bournemouth play in the Premier League in front of eleven thousand. Yeah. So yeah, I appreciate they own it, but it's not it's not generating a huge amount of money. If if you take a look at Bournemouth, for every one hundred pounds that comes through the door, only three pounds eighty of that is coming from matchday sales. Therefore, it is it is possible to achieve uh, being in the Premier League without owning the stadium. Manchester City don't own the Etihad. That's owned by Manchester City Council. West Ham don't own the, the London Stadium. That's owned by uh, L20. Uh, you know, it's, it's a legacy issue from the Olympics, as we all know. Um, admittedly, those are on fairly favourable rental terms, but um, it, 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 is, it is possible. Uh, it's a case of getting that that right blend within the dressing room, as, as we were discussing earlier, um, and then you know hold, holding on, you know try, trying on the back of that to get the stadium um, would would I think would probably be a, an option for the club. And you know it may all be smoke and mirrors, and we're not twi- you know we're not really sure of the intricate details, but there has been talk about the club building a new ground and that it's just not feasible to continue at the Rico with what was a, a really heavy sort of rent agreement uh, originally. Um, but considering the council you know, wouldn't gift land to us, what would you be looking nowadays to sort of the cost of building a, a ground with the right infrastructure? 
Um, realistically, I, th I think you've got to decide on on what is the uh, what 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 is the capacity of the ground. Uh, again, I'll, I can just link to Brighton. We we've, we've been at the Amex now for what eight nine years. Um, that cost ninety million pounds. You, you'll have been there as an away fan. You were in the FA Cup. Was it last yes. season? Yeah, yeah, um, with that. Yep. Um, so that that cost ninety million for a thirty thousand capacity capacity stadium. So that's I think I think that's probably a ballpark figure. Um, I don't think you'd be looking to you know I, I with due respect you're not you're not going to do a Spurs. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I have I have Spurs. I think is the only stadium ever be I've ever been to the new one and and my jaw dropped. Uh, it is an incredible feat of architectural and engineering excellence. It, it's absolutely astounding, mm. um, but still quiet, um, which which is uh, yeah one thing which is uh, you'd expect to see at a new stadium. You, yeah, we'd heard all these stories about the acoustics. Admittedly, that, that it was it was ninety minutes of turgid dross, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, that that was so. Certain. If, if we look at the Amex, the Amex was built to a very high specification. Uh, you know, it's, the, the seats are very roomy. There's there's very big concourses, so you could buy it for you could build it for a wee bit less, um, but not not much. Uh, yeah, I, I think Coventry would be looking for for somewhere in the region of thirty to thirty five thousand capacity. Do you think that's a fair fair assessment given the, the potential of your fan base? I mean, it's a difficult one because you look at what you take, but you can't say what you take to Wembley. You look back at the Rico and even when we had, you know, huge games in, in the championship, it was probably sort of, I suppose it was 32,000 would be around. But I think the talk now would be of a, of a sort of lot lower, which I think would be sad, really, because if you are trying to build for the future, you, you I know you can add things to it. But at the same time, you you kind of don't want to go in with a ground of sort of like 20,000 or something, do you? So it's um, there's been a lot of talk of what that would look like. But I think it's fair to say you'd want something north of, you know, at least 25, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, well, this I don't know. Make this the Brighton show, but when we bought the Amex, it was twenty-one thousand capacity, and then twelve months later, they they just they future-proofed it, and they just added another sure. eight thousand seats, uh, and now we're sort of we're adding sort of more each year. So, provided that's built into the design, you can whilst you're in the championship, you know, if you're getting twenty to twenty-two thousand, you you could probably sell out every week. If you then start to you know have a more of a successful run and you, you future proof the stadium go to the premier league you can add ten thousand seats uh, over the summer because you've, you've effectively built a, 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 an upper stand somewhere which all needs all you need to do is to to go through the physical costs of, of adding seats of you know that and you, you can you can put in a seat for 40 or 50 quid a time Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing. But rest assured, you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. 
And the next uh, topic we want to talk about, Kieran, is is the accounts. Um, I know you're a you're a big fan of looking into to clubs' accounts, um, and obviously the CCFT ones came out. I think it was shortly before um, the COVID lockdown. What would your kind of summary be from from those accounts? Well, as as a business, I, I think Coventry for the last five years have been run pretty well. Um, you know, they've aimed to break even. Um, and, you know, and I appreciate that may have come at a cost of what you might have been seeing on the pitch in in some seasons, um, but they they they've managed to cut the the wage bill. The wage bill has halved over the course of the decade. Um, the, the the downside on that is is that revenue has come down as well. Um, you know, in 2010, you were generating 14 million pounds a year. That's now down to six in 2019. But that's that's a function of being in different divisions as well. Um, it, it the the owners run a tight ship, um, provided the the manager knows what his budget is and it's competitive for the division, then you can't really complain too much. That they've stopped putting. Uh, huge amounts of money into the club, uh, mm. and that was one of the things which sort of the paradox of Sisu is that the 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 loans to the club were increasing. Um, uh, you know, Sisu and this Arvo Master Fund, uh, yeah, they are they are being they are charging interest on those loans, although it doesn't seem to be sort of paid across in the form of cash necessarily uh, to the same extent. Um, but but looking at this, it's it, it's tough not being in the Premier League. Wages are eighty-five percent of income. You know that's that's above UEFA's target of seventy percent, but mm. that will have included uh, you know promotion bonuses and also reflecting the fact that you've not been at your, your spiritual home in the, in the past few years all the time, and that makes it more difficult. If you are the commercial manager, you're trying to sign up a two or three year deal with a local sponsor or with a local commercial partner, and you don't know where you're going to be playing from season to season, it makes those negotiations really tough. Mm, sure. You just touched on something there, on promotion bonuses. Um, it just got me thinking. So we had uh, Darren McAnthony on a, a few weeks ago, and he mentioned that he was excited for Coventry to go up because he, they get a big windfall from Matty Godden. Um, what do those sort of bonuses look like? How are they typically structured? Um, in t- well, there's, there's two types of promotion. First of all, it's, it's embedded into players' wages. So that they will have this, all, all the first team squad this year will have um, bonuses should, should Coventry go up to the, the championship um, to, to reflect the fact that the club is going to benefit financially. So that will be embedded into a contract. Um, and then as far as transfers are concerned, um, these days, especially for a club such as Peterborough, which 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 are quite savvy um, when when they do sell players, and I think they are again an example of a club who have who have had you know quite a few seasons. They they they, they managed to get up into the the championship on occasions on on the back of developing players, which which goes back to what we were talking earlier. Um, if, if you're selling a, a a player to another club broadly in the same division, then you will try to negotiate a 20% sell-on or a, a a cash, you know, a physical cash bonus mm. should should they get promoted. So so that is quite common um, in the lower leagues, especially for younger players who who are yeah. sort of development uh, development processes and, and and products. Great. 
Um, and I know on your um, on your Price of Football podcast, you talk about you know clubs' accounts, some being quite restrictive. They perhaps hold bits and bobs back where they can. How do you sort of Coventry City's accounts you know match up in terms of how much is revealed or perhaps held back? Um, I, I think Coventry are one of the better clubs. Um, they they show all of the key expenses. Yes, yeah, so they separate way out wages and rent and. Um, how much they're playing for uh, player signings and so on. So that's quite good. The, the only thing which which slightly bugs me is that they they don't separate out uh, how much they get from TV companies. But other than that, I would say, yeah, I'd, I'd probably give them a B plus um, if, if I was grading Not them. Uh, yeah. So um, and and the and the detail in terms of the relationship with Sisu and Arvo and so on. Yeah, that that is put put out there. Um, in in you know considerable small print, um, if if that's what people want to look at, and you know I'm I'm fully accepting that you know 95 percent of fans at the very least couldn't give a hoot about it. You know we we go along there to to cheer, to scream, to see our friends, and and to have have that escapism from day to day life uh, in terms of football, but. The, the the accounts, yeah, I, I think they're compared to many clubs in in the lower two divisions. Uh, Coventry's are are one of the one of the definitely one of the best. That's that's good to hear. Um, I've got another another listener question here. This time it's Darren Curley from Twitter, um, and he asked, and this is a question that gets quite widely debated amongst Coventry fans. He asks, what's the current value of CCFC? How, how how do you I mean there's there's about half a dozen different ways of valuing a football club um charlton went for a pound in january uh wigan went for 17 and a half million just before christmas uh, i think charlton have just been sold for a pound again last month so uh-huh. it, it's i suspect there's somewhere in between the, the, i think the the big issue with coventry is coventry Owning the Rico is worth a lot more than Coventry not at the Rico, and whilst and and of course you've got far more um, club knowledge on this than I have, but my understanding is until we finally unravel um, Sisu's legal claims with regards to the stadium, um, they will be looking for a price which is higher than many people would be prepared to buy until we get mm. clarification with regards to the stadium you can't really um give give a true value you know if, mm. if, if you if you were buying a house and you didn't know whether it was freehold or leasehold or or things of that nature you know that would impact upon you um so i think i think coventry as a club in the championship owning its stadium realistically we're, we're probably talking look, looking at other clubs who are for sale with you know, with due respect let's say other other bottom six clubs and i'm I, I can't go into too much details but i am sort of involved with the potential sale of one of those at present you know i think you probably be looking for for 20 million um if you've got a you've got a good or even if you you're, you're at the rico and you are paying rent and it's a reasonable rent you know probably 20 to 25 million would be um, a ballpark figure. Um, without that, you'd you'd be struggling to get ten. And when a club goes for a pound, like Charlton, and I think we actually went for a pound. That's I, I presumably that's because of the debt and and whatnot in the background. How is that then? You know, how are the former owners then sort of compensated? I guess how does that work? 
Well, um, if, if we take a look at the Charlton deal, um, Roland Duchachelet, um, a, a, uh, an owner who was unpopular with fans, so you, you will probably feel some, um, uh, you'll probably feel some emotional uh, bonding here with Charlton fans. Um, he he sold the rights to the club for a pound, but he was still owed, um, I think, around about fifty million in in loans. Right. So those loans, so he just wanted to get his money back from from the new owners when they could afford to repay the loans. And, and there would have been, you know, various clauses in that. Should they stay up, they might get some more of what's referred to as the solidarity payment. So there might have been uh, a schedule for repaying that loan. Um, so so that what te- that's what tends to happen. Sometimes owners will simply sell the club for a pound and just walk away because whilst they might be loan money, they might even write off those loans because it means that they no longer have to write out that check every Monday morning for anything from, you know, it could be from 20,000 to 500,000 pounds a week. As, as we saw, you know, we, we take a look at Aston Villa under yeah. Tony G. Uh, he effectively gave away his interest in the club because he, he ran out of physical cash. And he, he used to wow. fly across from Hong Kong with a suitcase full of cash to pay the bills. And it was, <laughs> it, it, it was that lunatic, um, uh, 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 an experience at the time. And the, the Chinese government put a stop to that. And we, we touched upon some of the sort of factors involved in, in determining the, the value of the club. One thing I think that's been a bit of an issue or something that gets discussed is the fact that, you know, CSU say that they've put, you know, circa 60 million in and they kind of want that back before selling the club. So obviously you mentioned 20 mil, but, you know, if they want that money back, then it, does that become our value? That's what they're willing to sell for or, or how does it work in that respect? Well, what, what value is... It is a price agreed between a willing seller and buyer. So, you know, I'd, I'd quite like to sell my car for 50 grand, but realistically, and I bought it from Coventry as well. Um, <laughs> I hope it's not gone wrong if there's any <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, it's, 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 it, it, it is the love of my life. It was, it was my midlife crisis uh, purchase, uh, and I love it to bits. <laughs> um, so what, what you, you know, what we want and what we get and mm. as, as we know from you know, you think about the number of times you've been going in for a uh, for your annual assessment at work, thinking you might get a decent pay rise. Um, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes expectations are are not fulfilled. Um, on what basis could um, Coventry be worth sixty million pounds? Huddersfield was sold um, at the end of last season for sixty million. But they were in. They were just being relegated from the Premier League at the time, and the new owner was acquiring a club which was in receipt of three years of parachute payments. Mm-hmm. Now, you, on the, on the, on that basis, why on earth would you pay Coventry, Coventry owners sixty million when Wigan was sold for seventeen and a half, and and they were, you know, they they've been in the Premier League more recently, and and they have been a yo-yo club between. Um, the uh, between the championship and uh, and League One, so you you look at clubs on that basis, and you say, well, you know, if if next door's house is going for seventeen and a half million pounds, how can I justify paying being able to sell mine for sixty? So you know, that's one of the things you do. It's you know, a fo- football clubs are like houses in certain regards, um, and you say, well, yeah, this one's clearly bigger. It's it's in a more lucrative area, and so on, but. Is Coventry worth three and a half times that of Wigan? Uh, you know, I, th- I think Coventry have certainly got a, a bigger fan base, 
Mm. But one of the things which I, th I think is overestimated is the impact of match day revenue on clubs. Because if we go back to what we were saying earlier, football clubs open, you know, what, 25, 30 times a year. And that's when it's getting the money from those match day fans. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Sounds to me like it's a situation where we kind of either need to get promoted back to the Premier League or CSU will have to kind of cut their losses and accept that, you know, 10, 20 million in the championships, probably about as far as they can, they can take the club and, and kind of walk away at that point. Yeah, and, and so, sometimes with, you know, Sisu being a hedge fund and so on, sometimes it's pride take comes before common sense. And, and you, you've got to be able to accept that not 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 all deals are going to be successful um, mm. and, and just walk away and, and hand across. Because in the championship, if Coventry are going to survive, the chances are they're going to lose money. In, in 2019, 23 clubs out of 24 lost money. Mm. And, the, and the only one that which broke even, which which was Rotherham, got relegated. Yeah, it's madness, isn't it? That league. Um, just wanted to move on to the kind of current landscape, and obviously with with the COVID crisis, because I know it's had a, a huge impact on football. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was there's been a lot of talk about season ticket refunds. Obviously, the season being cut short in League One uh, and the Championship and Premier League playing behind closed doors. Um, could you give us a bit of insight, Kieran, on, on the different approaches clubs are taking with this issue? Um, well, I, I was talking, I was, I was on a, uh, a, a presentation with some guys from uh, Law in Sport with a bunch of lawyers, and then there's me, who's not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pub lawyer, um, just like I'm a pub football expert. Um, but uh, they were saying that from a consumer protection point of view, clubs are legally obliged to give refunds to season ticket holders. Mm. But what we are seeing in practice is that clubs are writing to season ticket holders and saying, well, would you prefer a discount off next year's season ticket? Would you like to donate the money to the club or would you like a refund? So that has been the case in the vast majority of circumstances. Um, some clubs have really dragged their heels on the matter. Uh, I know that Scunthorpe have refused to give refunds, which in my understanding is uh, if, if a fan wanted to demand a refund, they could do so. Um, so club, it, it, clubs have got a genuine problem. They've still got to pay payers' wages. Um, even, even if they are they're furloughed, they're still, the chances are they're still losing money because there's nothing coming through the gates. And now we've got fans who are entitled to, to the money back. A lot of fans in the lower league clubs, if, if you speak to them and, and they say, well, you know, I, I love my football club. I want it to survive. So mm. therefore, I'll, I'll I'll waive the refund. So that that is really, I think, the way that most clubs should behave um, to set out the position. Um, it could be that your personal circumstances, you've lost your job, you've been furloughed. You've you've got other financial commitments. You're you're now having to look after your parents and so on. You you genuinely need the money. In which case, you know, clubs should act a bit faster in terms of giving out refunds. Um, yeah. And and there should be no judgment of anybody. Absolutely, absolutely. So I I, I don't know the position at Coventry. So I'm, I must confess I, I've not checked up on. You, you'll know it far better than I do uh, in in terms of you know how how proactive the club has been to date. Yeah, I mean, from my understanding, we haven't really heard too much yet. But I think, well, the, sen the, the sense I've got from a lot of the fans is that they're happy for the club to keep the money. But like you say, it's, you know, everyone has their own, you know, individual circumstances. 
Um, just another thing on that. I was just wondering, looking to next season, obviously, you know, people are saying probably the first half of next season is likely to be behind closed doors. Do you think that there might be clubs saying, look, put, put you know, put down your season ticket money to help the club and, and people will kind of volunteer to do that? Or do you think they're just going to have to sort of take the hit on, on you know, playing behind closed doors? Pro rata it, I suppose. Mm. I, I think there could be some some form of um, opportunities for uh, I follow and things of that nature. So it, why not say to say, say to fans, well, if you can afford, and, and some fans, some, some fans I know at uh, I've got a, I, I I work in, at the University of Liverpool, uh, and and I share with some uh, Tranmere fans. They've they've told me, well, we've bought next year's season ticket. We want the club to survive. Mm, uh, and, yeah. and that takes priority over everything else. So it, I, I think if clubs try to offer fans something which is reasonable and don't try to screw them over, you could offer them perhaps a home and away ticket on iFollow um, at, a, at a, perhaps a discounted price on what you pay for a season ticket and then say once the season kicks in again, We'll we'll then we'll increase. I don't know. We've got a direct debit scheme, so it could be you know it will be twenty pounds a month um, for to see all the I follow games on a monthly basis mm. um, when the season starts in the championship, and then once we can play in front of a paying audience, this is what we'd be charging you effectively per match, um, mm. and that way you lock the fans in. Yeah. So, so the, the fans get to see something. It's it's not perfect. You know, it, it, I'm sure you've been watching the the, the Premier League matches um, o- over the weekend, which have been taking place. And the, one of the things which has really hit me was uh, it, even those stadiums which are quiet, they still make far more noise than perhaps we give them credit for. Um, and, and and fans are really important in mm. matches because otherwise it's a glorified training session. Yeah. So, so to, so, I, I think you know the, the the clubs mustn't take the fans for granted, um, and, and they mustn't try to take advantage of our loyalty. But I think there there's certainly an opportunity for a good marketing department, a good commercial department, to to say, well, let's be realistic. Yeah, what do what do we think we would be prepared to pay mm. to see an eye follow match? Because you're going to have you know, only only a couple of cameras. You're not getting all. You're not getting the advantage of seeing all the angles and things of that nature, um, and and try to come up with something which is reasonable. And again, fans, I don't think you know, fans are reasonable as well. We we we. we it, it's not like you've booked a flight with Ryanair and you want your money back because there's there's no emotional attachment. Um, that bond you have with your football club is a lifelong one, and financially supporting the club goes along with that if your personal circumstances allow that to be the case. Yeah. And I think with the case of Coventry, you know, when you, you break the numbers down, I think last season, a season ticket worked out something like £12 a game. Um, and, you know, you think it's probably a tenner to watch a game on iFollow. Obviously, it's clearly not the same experience, but, you know, it's kind of saying, well, I'm, I'm putting a little bit more in to help the club, but I'm still going to be able to watch the game. And I think, you know, perhaps a lot of fans will, will take that view um, to help the club. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair, very reasonable. And also, it's there's a lot of different industries that have been affected. Um, I look at things like the sports betting industry, and there's lots of different industries and and you know corporate companies that feed into football, 
with the sort of COVID situation, do you think we'll see sort of commercial relationships, a, a big different landscape sort of next season? And would that have an impact on the money that clubs have and have to spend? Yes, I think I think everybody, again, has to be realistic. Um, you know, we, we've seen a Rolls-Royce in Derby. I think that they announced 7,000. Uh, also, yeah, Rolls-Royce engine in Derby is 7,000 redundancies. Well, that's going to hit, Dar- you know, people in Derby. Um, you've got other big, big announcements of job losses on a local level. How on earth can you go and say, well, we're going to be a front of shirt sponsor or we're going to have a a hospitality box at a football ground next season if we've just announced X redundancies to our staff? It's going to go down. It's going to cause morale to collapse significantly. I don't think many customers are going to be impressed because from a PR point of view, it will be a nightmare. So the commercial departments of clubs for next season um, they're going to have to work two or three times as hard to get you know, three quarters yeah. of the money. Uh, Coventry will have the advantage of being in the championship and, and therefore they're more likely to be chosen for matches on Sky and things of that nature. But even so, it, it's going to be a really tough gig. Mm. I've got another uh, listener question here. This one time it's from Nick Kaplan. Um, he He's talking about wage caps here. He asks, are the proposed wage caps in the EFL realistic and how do you think it will bridge the gap? He also asks, will Premier League teams coming down be given a few years to get their we- their wage bill down? Well, the, the, the suggestion for the championship um, is is a wage cap of you know, six to seven million pounds. Um you know, you look at the average now of 34 and, and that can't be achieved in one year. So um, it's, mm. it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a huge challenge. Um, and uh, I mean, Nick's exactly right. Yeah. How, how do you cope in the, in the premier league, whereby if, if you look at a club who's, you know, in danger of going down. Um, so if, if we took Bournemouth, for example, um, you know, Bournemouth's wage bill last season, 111 million. How mm. can you, how can you get yeah. that down to a championship cap of, you know, 10 million or whatever it's going to be? And and, it, and if they're going to give clubs from the Premier League extra time to get their wage bill, does that mean that that gives them an advantage on the pitch? Mm. So is it actually any better than what we presently have in the form of parachute payments? Um, it, it's it's a it's a I don't think there's a simple solution. And the trouble is, if it's not a simple solution, then there's going to be loopholes, as we've seen with financial fair play and the um, best described as unusual activities of clubs such as Villa, uh, Derby and Sheffield Wednesday, where they've been selling the the stadiums to to the club owners for um, amazingly high prices uh, in in order to comply (laughs) with financial fair play. So if, if we have a complicated solution, then um, and whilst I do take the mickey out of them on the show, um, our very good friends in the accounting and legal profession, they they will find those loopholes. I can guarantee it. That's that's mm. what they're paid to do. Very that's, creative. Yeah, that's right. That yeah. You know, why do rich people not pay tax? That's that's because they've got accountants. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I was I was going to ask a little bit around that in terms of sort of enforcing it because I know 
clearly, you know, some of the stadiums being sold. There's obviously some some dodgy stuff going on. Um, and it makes me just question, you know, do EF, the EFL actually have the backbone to to enforce salary caps if they were to come in? Um, well, they've they've certainly got the desire. They did it. They did actually recruit somebody to review club accounts. I saw the job advert. Um, I think it went out last September. But even so, sort of going through that small print and looking for exclusion clauses, um, I, I think the will is probably there at the EFL. Um, whether they have the capacity to do it, um, and if you take a look at take a look at Derby and Sheffield Wednesday, both of those clubs have been charged by the EFL for FFP breaches. Um, Derby's um, Derby's uh, charge was on the 16th of January uh, and the reason why I know it was the 16th of January because because that's the day that my book came out and my book focuses on Derby's creative accounting mm. um which was a pure coincidence but you know we're now we're now in mid June mm. and nothing yeah. you know we're getting no smoke coming out of the, the the EFL chimney um and and this this is where things can start to get really awkward because you know, if it takes another couple of months, Derby could have sneaked into the playoffs by then. They might have then be in the Premier League and all of a sudden they get a fine. If you take a look at some of the fines for FFP breaches, um, Leicester were fined £3 million by the EFL in, uh, for, for breaches when the year they were promoted. But since then, how, yeah, they probably made three quarters of a billion pounds. Yeah, these change um, really. So it is loose change. Bournemouth mm. were fined four and a half million. Well, they're making a hundred and you know, hundred and thirty million a year, uh, and even the QPR fine, um, because it's being spread over ten years. In terms of real cash, it's probably cost them nine million pounds. Um, but they did get a year in the Premier League and a couple of years of parachute payments off the back of it. So, yeah. you know, it's 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 not an easy job that the EFL have. Um, they, they've not covered themselves in glory on occasions, uh, but uh, I, I think they they genuinely have a, have a tough gig. Mm. I find it interesting that that they that the punishment is is money related. It seems a bit sort of con, you know contradictory because you're almost saying to people, well, you know, gamble on getting to the Premier League because you're yeah. only going to get charged a tiny tiny percentage of your of your revenue. It feels like, and I know with Man City, obviously they're getting punished by not being in the Champions League, but it feels like punishment should be more perhaps football related rather than financially. Well, Birmingham were, were docked nine points last year. Um, and I don't know whether you've been following Macclesfield this season in League Two, um, but you know, they, they, were, they finally avoided, they, they were docked two points on Friday night. But if they'd been docked three, they would have dropped into the National League. And, and their, their punishment was it was a two-point deduction, a £20,000 fine, and a four-point suspended sentence. So that's about as close as you can get to kicking them out of the league without doing it, which does make it a bit farcical. My understanding is that if Derby and Sheffield Wednesday are found guilty of financial fair play breaches, it is likely to be a points deduction because because the because the, wow. the EFL are, are aware of the issues which you've you've rightly brought out but if they don't do that until after the season's ended things start to get very messy yeah of course um we've got another question from twitter it's um adrian and he's also from the Coventry city london supporters club uh, so they're, they're getting a lot of action today um but he said the ceo of aston villa 
recently stated that it was essential for Premier League to start so the less well-off teams can survive. Is there any sort of sense in the references to sort of lower leagues and grassroots that he makes and how does that translate? Well, he, he, he is right. This is, this is Christian Perslow, um, the, the, the Villa CEO. Um, as the, the Premier League gives to the EFL what's referred to as solidarity payments. So in the, in the championship, a club will get around about, uh, about 4.7 million. Um, in League One, it's it's around about seven hundred and fifty k, and I think in League Two, it's around about half a million. So, so that comes from the Premier League, but that comes from the Premier League's TV money. Now, if if the Premier League had not restarted this weekend, then it would have had to given a far bigger rebate to the broadcasters, which would have reduced the money because the, because the uh, the solidarity payments are worked out as a percentage of the uh, the broadcast money it would have actually had a negative impact upon those lower league clubs so he is right in, in what he's said um and also uh, the 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 smaller clubs in the premier league the likes of you know, bournemouth watford brighton palace and so on they they are reliant to a far greater extent on TV money um, for their revenues than, than from any other source. Uh, you know, for Bournemouth, it's 88%. Uh, I think I think about, I think half the clubs in the Premier League, it's it's three quarters or more of their money comes from TV. Yeah, so it does. It do, it can make it quite a difficult landscape. Kieran, I'm sure we've had so many questions from our listeners and I'm sure we'd have so much more on the, the sort of tricky subject of Coventry City and football finance when then to combine it, it does get a little bit messy. But um, yeah, I really thank you for sort of coming on the show. Um, massive thank you, really. And it's been a really fascinating insight, you know, for our listeners in, into the sort of world of football finance. Well, th- well thank you very much. And uh, have a great season in the in the championship next season um i I hope you won't be playing brighton that's the only thing i can say um on that we're 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 trying to avoid relegation what the trouble with the premier league once you get there um the the excitement does does very quickly wear off uh when you're constantly battling uh, against the drop but uh the the championship's an amazing division it is the best division in European football in many regards, in my opinion, because it's that Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, nonstop with so many big clubs. So I just enjoy every every second of it. And uh, and congratulations for getting promoted. Thank you. Yeah. And we, we expect to and fully will. I think you've just got to really enjoy it as and when. And and listeners, do do check out Kieran's Price of Football podcast. Um, it's available for all the usual channels. And also, if you want to join in with the conversation with ourselves, you can on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram using the hashtag Sky Blues Extra podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra podcast. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116 123. That's 116 123. 
They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.